Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page a Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 225. Was over across the north end of the lake, up near where you'll be living, Mike. Now he was the finest buck I ever did see. Twenty point, big as a small horse, no lie. Now I'm younger and feistier back then than I am now. And though it had started snowing before Halloween that year, now it was Thanksgiving and there was clean snow on the ground, fresh as anything, and I could see the buck's footprints. It looked to me like the big fellow was heading for the lake in a panic. Well, only a damn fool tries to run down a buck, but there I am, a damn fool running after him. And there he is, standing in the lake in 08, nine inches of water, and he's just looking at me. That very moment, the sun goes behind a cloud and the freeze comes. Temperature must have fallen 30 degrees in 10 minutes, not a word of a lie. And the old stag, he gets ready to run, and he can't move. He's frozen into the ice. Me, I just walk over to him slowly. You can see he wants to run, but he's iced in, and it just isn't going to happen. But there's no way I can bring myself to shoot a defenseless critter when he can't get away. What kind of man would I be if I had done that, huh? So I takes my shotgun, and I fires off one shell straight up into the air. Well, the noise and the shock is enough to make that buck just about jump out of his skin, and seeing that his legs are tied in, that's just what he proceeds to do. He leaves his hide and his antlers stuck into the ice while he charges back into the woods, pink as a newborn mouse and shivering fit to burst. I felt bad enough for that old buck that I talked to the lakeside ladies' knitting circle into making him something warm to wear all the winter, and they knitted him an all-over-one-piece woolen suit so he wouldn't freeze to death. Of course, the joke was on us because they knitted him in a suit of bright orange wool, so no hunter ever shot at it. Hunters in these parts wear orange at hunting season, he said helpfully. And if you think there's a word of a lie in that, I can prove it to you. I've got the antlers up on my rec room wall to this day. Shadow laughed, and the old man smiled, the satisfied smile of a master craftsman. They pulled up outside a brick building with a large wooden deck, from which the golden holiday lights hung and twinkled invitingly. That's 502, said Henselman. Apartment 3 would be... And that's our page. Henselman's story takes up the entire page, excepting maybe the last line or two if we're being technical, so there's not a whole lot to discuss on the page because of that. However, the first thing I noticed was that he consistently adds addendums to the story where he insists that the story is true. Three times in the story he states that there isn't a word within the story that's a lie. Now, normally this would make me instantly suspicious of the story in question, but by the end of the page the story is so delightful and humorous that it definitely seems like a technique to Hinzelman's storytelling rather than a lampshade of the lack of truth in the story. This story and the other stories Hinzelman tells throughout the novel have the quality of American folklore, more specifically known as tall tales. Given that the novel is American Gods, it certainly makes sense. We'll actually meet a subject or two of American tall tales a bit further on in the novel. But the central idea behind a tall tale is that they are exaggerations and other unbelievable elements within the story but the telling of the tale is done as though the events taking place within are completely factual. A quote from Wikipedia. Things are told in a way that makes the narrator seem to have been a part of the story and are good-natured. In tall tales, the exaggeration looms large to the extent of becoming the whole of the story. And so it is in Hinzelman's story. We get a humorous explanation for how Hinzelman got this giant set of deer antlers on the wall in his rec room. There's also a small hint within the story as to Henselman's true nature and the nature of Lakeside, but I'll leave it alone for a moment. I don't want to delve too deeply, but if you've read the book before, you'll probably pick it out like I did. On the previous page, Henselman stated that what happens in the story was 30 to 40 years ago, so let's keep an eye on that as well. I know there's various references made to Henselman's age throughout the story, 
but I'm trying to remember if they're more from him or from Shadow's internal monologue. Either way, I have to imagine it takes some serious work to keep up a facade, especially as the world becomes more modern and connected. Though now that I've read that note and said that out loud, I realize that's actually a plot point much further on. A lady's knitting circle also seems to be a bit of an old-fashioned sort of idea. I dinked around a bit and found that there isn't a knitting circle in the California county I currently reside in, but there was in the Massachusetts county I grew up in at least as of about a year ago. Though it's in the trendier town with one of the trendier places, so maybe not quite so old-fashioned in that case. I like to think that Henselman has told this story so many times that he knows just how long it'll take to tell the tale and is able to finish up just as he's pulling into Shadow's apartment. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetale at gmail.com or on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. Thank you to Julian Granganage for the use of his version of St. James Infirmary Blues as the show's theme. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page. And remember, only the gods are real.